Well, whenever uh, we look at the genealogies in the Bible, it is one big snore fest. Ahaz begat Hezekiah. Hezekiah begat Jimbob. I mean, it warms your heart about as much as reading what someone was eating for dinner on Facebook. And I think the prevailing feeling is, who cares? And maybe even you're thinking, well, John, let's just skip over the genealogies. Let's not get bogged down with all these uh, funny, silly, and unpronounceable names. And yet, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correction, and training in righteousness. Well, if that's true, then that has to include the genealogies. What we're going to find is that the prominence given these names at the opening of Matthew's gospel story may at first glance be the least interesting part of the Christmas story, but make no mistake about it. They were very important to the original audience that Matthew was writing to. And so by extension to you and me today. There's a lot more than meets the eye, trust me, as this genealogy has three paragraphs with 14 names in each one. Three paragraphs, 14 generations in each one. Now, I'm not going to read all the names, and if you follow all of Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, you can figure out why. But I would like to invite you to join me as we do look at this genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then skip down and read verses 16 and 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Abinadav, and Abinadav the father of Nashron, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. O holy child of Bethlehem, we come to your manger on this Christmas day filled with wonder and awe because of your presence now among us. And as you came to us on that first Christmas, come to us now, enter our hearts and our worship, that we might recognize the shining light of your love and grace, as we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, amen. 
Well, what you need to know is that back in Jesus' day, the people wore their pedigree proudly. In fact, in order to own a piece of the Holy Land in Israel, you had to have in your possession a public document that showed evidence of your genealogy. For example, to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi, which meant you had, wait for it, Levi's genes. <laughs> More importantly, the people expected that the Messiah would come from the house and lineage of David. So what seems to be going on here in Matthew chapter 1 is the certification of Jesus' claim to the Messiahship. Now what's interesting to me is that even Jesus' fiercest critics Folks like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they never once quarrel with him about his being descended from David. Jesus got peppered with questions with everything else, but not his heritage. In fact, one time early in Jesus' ministry, two blind men follow him into a house and they cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. And so it seems as if it were a matter of public record that Jesus was an heir of David and an inheritor to the promises of Israel. But friends, these names in Matthew chapter 1 do a lot more than tell us just who Jesus was because they tell us who God is. What startles us in the first paragraph is the appearance of the names of four women. Back then, it was unusual to mention women in a Jewish genealogy. And if they were mentioned at all, they were usually brought in to provide clout to enhance the nobility of the lineage. So we might expect the names mentioned to be the southern bells of the Old Testament. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Esther, And yet, none of those women appear in the lineage of Jesus, but instead, we discover these women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, none of whom are even Jewish. Tamar was a Canaanite, Rahab was a Jerichoite, Ruth was a Moabite, and Bathsheba, through her husband, was a Hittite. So instead of choosing women that show the untainted Jewishness of Jesus, we get the complete opposite. We get women who show us just how contaminated Jesus' bloodline was. Think about this. Not only did Jesus shed his blood for the world, but Jesus got his blood from the world. I don't know how else I can say it, but we worship a mixed-race Messiah. Remember the words from that old hymn, red and yellow, black and white, all, all are precious in his sight. The Bible tells us that the blood of Gentile mothers flow through the veins of the Savior of the world. And yet, that does not even begin to compare with what happens next. Because not only are these women Gentiles, but three of them are notorious sinners. In fact, with the exception of Ruth, none of these women had any morals to brag about. 
No church would ever dream of lifting up Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba as role models for their young women. Tamar tricked her father-in-law, Judah, into having a child by her, and the child from that incestuous relationship was one of the grandfathers of our Lord. We know that Rahab the harlot plied her trade within the walls of Jericho. And the fourth woman is so scandalous that the genealogy does not even mention her by name. It says in verse 6, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So here we are 2,000 years later, and Bathsheba still isn't David's wife. She's Mrs. Uriah. Think about this, sports fans. Bathsheba was a distant grandmother of our Lord Jesus. It's almost as if Matthew, the gospel writer, rummaged through the lineage of Jesus in order to find the seediest and sleaziest women he could find. Why? I think it's to show that not only is God's love bigger than the Jewish race, but God's love is bigger than your sin and my sin. God used bad news women to bring about his good news gospel. And we find that the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 drips with the grace of God and proclaims Jesus as the friend of sinners. Now, I think it's fair to say that Jesus isn't the only person who has ever lived to have a smattering of outlaws amongst his in-laws. As you already know, the holidays can be relatively stressful. <laughs> and if I know one thing, and you know one thing, you can't pick your relatives. You can't choose your family. And we really see this amusingly portrayed in the movie Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Christmas Vacation was released in 1989 and was made for $25 million. By the time it left the box office, it had made $71 million. It stars Chevy Chase, who plays Clark Griswold, the common man. And Clark Griswold just dreams of giving his family an old-fashioned perfect Christmas with food, family, gifts, and Christmas togetherness. It all sounds so simple, and yet it becomes extremely complicated. First, he gets this Christmas tree that is so big that he can't even fit it into his living room. He decorates his house with about 25,000 lights. He invites both sides of his family to come and stay in his house, which leaves no room for his own children. And if you've seen this movie, you know that each one in his own family is extremely odd. There are Clark's parents, Clark Sr. and Nora. There's Clark's wife, Ellen, and her parents, Art and Francis. There's Clark's Uncle Louis and Aunt Bethany. And then there's my favorite character in the movie, Cousin Eddie, and his wife, Catherine, and their children, Rocky, he had a lip fungus, and Ruby Sue, who was kicked by a mule, which caused her eyes to go uncrossed. We only hear about Eddie's older children, a son who was learning a trade at the carnival, and their daughter who was in rehab trying to get off the wild turkey. And we can't forget about Cousin Eddie's dog, Snot. 
who fits right in among the misfits who gather for Christmas in the Griswold household. This movie reminds us that no family is perfect. They may be just plain weird, say goofy stuff, and do things that will just drive us crazy. I want to try to show you that. So we're going to dim the lights, show you a clip. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, great. Oh. 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 What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 As I said earlier, if there's one thing that we've learned is that you can't pick your family. You can't choose your relatives. If only we could pick our family tree like we do our Christmas tree. What if we could? What if you could pick your family tree? What would it look like? Would you pick one with shady characters, unwed mothers, a cousin Eddie, an Aunt Bethany, and maybe other old skeletons lurking in the back of the closet? Just remember, there was one baby who did get to pick his own family, and what he chose was an ordinary human family with saints and scoundrels mixed together, holy men like Abraham, Airheads like Ahaz, sweet, saintly Ruth, and sexy, seductive Bathsheba. Jesus didn't come to earth like E.T. the extraterrestrial. He came into our messed up world from a messed up human family tree. I would venture to guess that some of us here today have come from some messed up families or maybe you're even in one right now. And it's really hard, especially at Christmas. And we have to wonder, does God really understand the pain that I am feeling inside of my family? In other words, does God feel the hurt that I have for my family and loved ones? And friends, my answer is God sure does understand. You see, he's already been there, and God promises to be faithful to each and every one of us. How faithful? Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Galatians. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption 
as children. Friends, what will matter most to God on this Christmas morning is your faith in Jesus Christ. As someone has said, God has no grandchildren. Grace does not get passed down from your parents' DNA. And it really doesn't matter if your mother was an elder or your uncle was a deacon or you have a relative buried in the church cemetery. What matters most to God is you. Can you say on this Christmas morning, the Lord is my shepherd? Can you say on this Christmas morning, the Lord is my light and my salvation, not my mother's, not my father's, not my brother's, not my sister's, but to me, O Lord. You see, either you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or you have nothing at all. Because in the end, all our earthly genealogies are going to be forgotten after at least a few generations. And all that will really matter is this. Are you remembered in the heart and mind of God? The good news is that we can be children of God, not by blood, but by faith. In John chapter 1, he writes, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, to them he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, but of God. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus Christ, in him, all of us are engrafted into his forever family. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the celebration of this day. We thank you that as we gather together to pray and to sing and to listen to your word, that you have come, that you have broke forth into our lives and into our families. And Lord, wherever we've come from, in fact, wherever we are right now, the most pressing issue is do we have you in our hearts? Do we know you not just by name, but a Savior and Lord, Messiah, King of Kings? We pray, O oh God, for each and every person here and for those who are watching online and for those who may watch this service later on this week, that you would bless their relationship with you, that it may grow and mature and develop as we head into 2023, so that we might look a little bit more like Jesus Christ each and every day, the things that we do, the things that we say, even in the things that we think. Bless our families, our marriages, the relationships, that are important in our lives, Lord, may we truly reflect the character and nature of Jesus Christ. And hear us, O oh God, as we join together as one family of faith and one voice to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.